Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and this week I had the opportunity to connect with David Kinneman, president of Barna Group. David has directed interviews with over 1 million people and overseen hundreds of research studies, both in the U.S. and around the world. He and his team provide incredible insights into how people are thinking about Jesus and the church, how culture is shifting, how society is changing, and how we can respond. He's the author of several books, including his latest, Faith for Exiles. Now, in this week's episode, David and I discuss some practices that the most resilient Christ followers from younger generations are embracing and how our churches can focus on nurturing these practices. David speaks about what he refers to as digital Babylon, and he reveals what recent research shows is happening among young people who are flourishing in their faith. Now, these are challenging times, but God is definitely at work. So let's learn together as you join me in my conversation with David Kinneman. David, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Uh, So thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Awesome. Now, David, from your years of research, uh, you have seen a lot of, of really, you've seen a lot of the younger generation uh, dropping out of church engagement. You've, you've done lots of studies on this, you know, written books, uh, you know, uh, different articles on this. In your most recent book, Faith for Exiles, you posit that today's society is, quote, especially and insidiously faith-repellent. Can you, can you talk with us a little bit about um, our society today and, and how it is so faith-repellent? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's some obvious things that I think anyone could notice. Um, we see the the rise of um, religiously unaffiliated people that consider themselves to be atheist or agnostic. Uh, it's more common today than ever before. So it's easier to swim against the grain of uh, what has been a pretty Christianized context in the United States. That's not the case in all of the world, uh, but certainly in the U.S. So we're becoming more post-Christian uh, by a lot of measures. People are attending church less frequently, and they're they're attending there, there's just a, a rise of, of unchurched people and really of a sort of a post-Christian context. But even more, I think, um, when I say insidiously or you know, sort of the the the, the, the under the surface uh, trends is that even a lot of people within the church are more self-centered and more oriented around the customs and norms of the world of the of the larger society. And we did a study a few years ago where we looked at at people's attitudes towards moral truth and we found things that you know like a majority of americans and a majority of practicing christians said that the best way to find yourself is to look within yourself and so those are examples um you know both the exterior measures of christianity are declining but also the interior measures of our heart um best as we can measure it through research seems to be shifting more and more towards an inner focus and i think that's a, a more dangerous and challenging place. So we've got a lot of young Christian students who are coming up through our churches and our families that may look sort of Christian, but they really don't have all of the components of, uh, you know, kind of a resilient faith that's going to last. And that's, um, that's part of the challenge. We've got to, we've got to rise to that, you know, to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. David, you, you kind of, uh, you refer to 
uh, kind of today's culture as this digital Babylon. Can you unpack that a little bit? What do you mean by a, a digital Babylon? Well, it's a phrase we came up with a few years ago to describe the the phenomenon that we were that we were seeing in the research that screens disciple that the um, experiences that people have, the content that they're taking in, uh, the ways they think about um, whether it's sexuality or money or a lot of um, you know sort of um, pressures or, or even just the way that that you know the internet now provides easy answers for sort of life's big big questions. And so for all those reasons, um, we think that we're living in what we call digital Babylon. And what we're trying to say through that is, and even the, the notion of a, of a title of a book called Faith for Exiles, is that God actually, I think, reveals in Scripture sort of this, this way forward um, to, to all of us as believers in a complicated culture. I and mean, we see it in the, in the, in the actual Babylon of, the, of, of old, but we also, I think, see it in, in things, places like First Peter where Peter writes to the modern exiles of the New Testament church, and he's reframing their experience as exiles, calling them back to that history. So Digital Babylon is where I think we're all trying to figure out what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian, and um, and being, being willing to have a faith for exiles, I think is an essential framework for our discipleship efforts. Like there's a secret code sort of in the Bible about how we live. And there's, you know, it's clear what Jesus does for our hearts and our souls and our eternal salvation, but there's also a way to live here on earth that I think can be unpacked through understanding a faith for exiles. Yeah, yeah, David. So do you do you feel or sense that this digital wor- world and this this access to, like you said, you know, learning about life's problems? I mean, you know, we, we talk about this idea that you can Google pretty much anything. So, um, do you feel like this is sort of a displacing the place where the church? Um, was you know kind of developing and helping to create or not just create but uh, helping to communicate a biblical worldview is that being displaced by you know kind of this digital world we're in at this point I think so I think the centrality of the authority structures of the church um, are uh, you know are changing I mean all authority structures are changing right. in this context and so you know we're we're convinced that um, that the church plays an essential role, but it has to be rethought. And really the, the purpose of this project is to reveal from the research we've done these five practices about the, the deeper ways that the church can create connections with uh, this emerging generation. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And I love those five practices as you lay them out. Uh, one of the, the common beliefs among younger generations today kind of ties closely with this idea of fame, and you, you touch on this. And in fact, you, your studies have shown that, you know, 26% of teenagers believe that they're going to be famous by the time they turn 25, right? And and so there's this ambition within them, you know, and they're interested in, in some type of success and, you know, depending on how they define that. But how does that kind of relate to this idea of developing a resilient disciple? Well, I think part of the answer to that is that you know, I've spent a lot of my my career, sort of professionally, listening to the stories of people who lose their faith. Uh, you know, we've had some high-profile people in the last month or two, uh, sort of denounce their faith, their Christian faith, and um, that that doesn't surprise me because I've seen data showing just the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of young people who are raised 
as Christian, but who end up uh, lapsing in some way, either from their faith or from from the church. And um, and so, you know, I focused a lot of my attention in, in, in the last few years on what is disconnecting young people. And I've really tried to focus now on what are the reconnections. And, um, you know, these five practices, some of them are, are pretty straightforward, but there's a deeper story to each of them. So, for example, one of them is experiencing intimacy with Jesus. And that may sound pretty straightforward, but it's actually pretty easy. Um, we see in the data for for young people to say they're Christian, but for them to um, to really essentially not have much depth of faith. And um, so so we talk a lot about the sort of the brand Jesus problem, like the church is competing with culture by offering young people a cool T-shirt, a slick experience. Uh, you know, an amazing concert-like venue and environment, and 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 that may be, you know, that some of those things may be fine. It, it, I'm not I'm not being critical of of any tactic that we might try to bring people closer to Christ. But it turns out that most young people who, who you know are pretty active churchgoers, they never really learn that Jesus speaks to them, that there is a, a way of thinking about His voice in our lives and in our world. Um, they're not taught, you know, how to listen for Jesus' voice. There's really, there's not a lot of intimacy with Jesus. So in some ways, we've created almost like a brand experience that's just, you know, Jesus, but but with all the popular trappings of today's, you know, kind of packaged goods. Mm. And so we we try to we try to describe a lot of this in the project that, you know, we we we're, we're really careful in the way we've. Um, you know, written about this that we, we want we don't want people to say great. You know, I think I think we've already got that. Like we're already we've already nailed it. And um, you know, instead we really want people to take a careful, close look at what's happening um, in their churches, in their organizations. If you're a young person, um, or you know, if you're a parent of a young person, like there's there's this deeper story of what God's up to, and um, and how do we listen in on that? That that's really the story of of these five practices. Is how do we actually tune in to a deeper story of what God's up to in and through the church. Yeah, David, how are millennials, how are those of Generation Z being formed spiritually? Like, like what is different that pastors and ministry leaders and even parents need to know as we're, as we're looking forward? You know, you talk about these practices, but what is different about how they are are actually being formed spiritually. Well, one of the themes of our research for for many years, I mean, even in the in the project called "You Lost Me," um, you know, it's this emphasis of um, that was a study that we looked at. What are the disconnections? We we really emphasize this is really important. Like there is nothing new under the sun. Human beings are the same in every generation. The kind of issues and challenges of of humanity aren't aren't changing, but the context is changing. And, and the exposure and the access. I mean, so we, we say that Babylon has three A words, access, alienation, and a skepticism of authority. And, and those are the things that are different. So, you know, in today's world, what's different is that young people have access to things like pornography uh, in ways that are unbelievable uh, compared to, you know, previous eras of human history, right? Like pornography isn't new, but access to it is. Um, skepticism of authority, you know, it's not new that this generation would, you know, or, or that any generation goes through a period of almost rebellion or, you know, rethinking the norms of their, of their elders, but the level of skepticism towards institutions 
towards structures of authority uh, is really mind-boggling. And that's not just a spiritual authority, that's in every way. And then, and then it's an alienation. You know, we, we, we live in a very lonely and isolating time despite uh, the levels of connection that are otherwise present. Um, so those are some of the things that are, you know, that are different. That's creating a, a lot more pressure on uh, churches, on families to raise and, you know, develop young people of consequence of, of deep faith, of resilient faith, faith that doesn't sort of, um, you know, blow away. Right. So in relation to that, let's dig in a little bit about some of these practices that you guys have uncovered. Uh, we live in a world that is increasingly accelerated. It's, uh, it's an anxious world. It's complex. One of the practices that you touch upon is this idea of developing cultural discernment. And, um, you know, as a father myself, I, I see this just even in my own own children, you know, and, you know, as they're, you know, in high school, moving into um, young adulthood, what does this idea of cultural discernment look like? And how, how do we as, as a church, you know, help practice this? Uh, well, a lot of the, uh, the research showed that this was um, in the lives of these resilient disciples and, and maybe maybe to back up a little bit, you know, the method that we used for this was we interviewed 18 to 29 year olds, uh, a, a really large sample of uh, young people who grew up Christian. And then we broke them into groups of people that were sort of lapsed Christians, prodigals, lost their faith. We had habitual churchgoers, uh, kind of average everyday churchgoers. And then we had um, what we call resilient disciples. And so we were looking at what turned out to be 10% of those who've experienced Christianity as a young person uh, who qualified as a resilient disciple. And so the five practices were our way of looking at the commonalities, the things that seem to be the most consistent in those resilient disciples, like what seemed to be the triggers or the things that made them different. And um, so cultural discernment was one of those areas and, and cultural discernment had things like their trust in the authority of scripture, their belief that God was wanting them to use their faith, not just, you know, kind of in the private parts of their lives, but out in public in their technology use and their views of sexuality. And um, the conclusion we came to in the research was that these resilient disciples, they live in a, in a unique learning community. They are learning what it means to be Christian under the authority of the Bible in order to na navigate uh, culture. And so, you know, what you asked earlier was what's different about young young people today or a context today. It is much more complicated than ever to live as a Christian. It's never been easy, but it's really complicated because first, there's a lot of other people in the world that are great people. They're not Christians. The, the claim that, you know, you have to become a Christian to be an awesome person or somehow, you know, a mm -hmm. better person, um, you know, falls flat. It doesn't logically doesn't sound right. Um, you know, it's, there's greater pressures on, I call it the gospel according to YouTube. So there's all this information that comes back in, in and through screens that says, you know, you can't really trust the Bible. It's not a reliable source. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are, are pressure points. So cultural discernment becomes this important muscle. It's like if we want our kids to be able to go out and swim in the cultural, you know, sea that we, that we have today, cultural discernment is really part of that that muscular development that's so important for them to be able to understand, you know, God's design for life and humanity and, and you know, the, the challenges that we have uh, within within faithful living today. So from the perspective of um, a, a pastor who's listening in, a ministry leader, 
when it comes to cultural discernment, uh, what are some things that we can do, you know, even in the local church, to help come alongside of these younger generations in developing that cultural discernment? Are there some specific things or examples or or, you know, things that you've seen churches doing that, that are helpful? Well, the first and most important suggestion I make in that uh, arena, and actually relates to a lot of the other themes, the other five practices, the four practices, is that you've got to emphasize Christian education um, as part of the muscular development. And here's a simple way of thinking about it. We are really good at sermon making as a Western church. We have some of the world's best communicators in today's church in the U.S., um, but we over-rely on, on sermons as the mechanism by which we help people learn. Again, sermons are really important. They're just not the only tool. And, um, and so, I mean, developing courses, uh, you, you know, like we need a human sexuality 101 and 201 and 301 course. Like people need to be able to be taught how to navigate these topics. Um, we need to be conversant with uh, current issues of our day. Um, the church has to become a learning community that isn't just about about sermons. And to put it really, you know, sort of straightforwardly, um, you know, maybe the metaphor of, you know, working out, um, if sermons are sort of like watching workout videos, um, you know, going through coursework, reading books, hearing lectures, doing you know, actual thinking about um, the world that we live in. That's like going to the gym and actually having, uh, you know, to work out. And I, I think we're we're training a generation of young people to simply sit back and and watch, you know, watch the performers exegete scripture instead of actually just forcing, saying, hey, if you want to be a part of this community, part of it is learning, growing, reading, thinking, um, you know, exploring these issues. You can't be prepared for life. You can't hope to swim. Um, you know, we're, we're in Southern California, we're, we're right along the coast here in Ventura, California, and the, the Pacific Ocean is just, just outside here. And um, I sometimes will see people, you know, swimming around the pier uh, here in Ventura, California. And, you know, you, someone who doesn't swim at all, at, you know, who's only watched videos of people swimming or who has been in a little pool would never be able to swim around uh, the pier, much less you know, swim for long distances. And, you know, it's just clear as day that um, if we're essentially sending people out to swim in our cultural context, uh, that they're just not going to be prepared to swim anywhere. And then we're surprised that they that they lose their faith or they you know lose themselves in our cultural moment. Excellent. So are there other practices? I know you talk about these five. So we've touched on this idea of cultural discernment and and how we as churches can begin to, you know, develop more of these learning learning groups and focus more on not just, you know, the sermon and expecting that the sermon's kind of enough for this cultural discernment, but to dig in a little more deeply. So some of these other cultural practices that that you share about, like vocational discipleship, was one that I, I found very interesting. Can you talk to us about how vocational discipleship? Um, helps, you know, kind of form and develop these resilient disciples? Yeah, it's a great example of the kind of learning community that we imagine. And um, it would be helping people to understand their calling, to give them coaching and training about how the Bible uh, applies to every field and every career and every industry. Um, It would be um, helping to give people a sense of God's design for work, uh, that, that God actually created work for our good. Uh, that it is is broken and there are thistles and thorns and there is a, 
there is a curse related to work now, but but that God's original design for for work was for for human beings to be active and productive and to join Him. Um, and that's a so you know we're we saw in a lot of the research early on for a book called You Lost Me that the church was losing young entrepreneurs and science-minded individuals and creatives. And, and you know, it, I just I can't emphasize strongly enough how how vocational discipleship is a real opportunity, both for young Christians as well as for young non-Christians to really understand the, the heart and breadth and power of what it means to be Christian. Like if, if Christianity is only about getting to heaven and being a part of a, you know, a, a little holy huddle of a church, uh, kind of a country club experience, then this generation isn't interested. They really want to see that their faith matters and applies to the the, the big issues and the challenges of our day, um, and that their that their faith matters in the work in the in the workplace and to the work that they do. Uh, so that's that's those are some of the things that we've done, and that's a good example of, you know, um, as we talked about cultural discernment. Like preaching is so important; it's never been more important to do good preaching. But if you expect that people are going to grow only and exclusively through preaching without other forms of Christian pedagogy, uh, you know, fancy word for how we learn, then then you're not doing your job as a pastor or a leader today um, because people simply can't be prepared uh, to think about faith and work, for example, only and exclusively through your sermons. And again, there's, there's some things that are pretty cool about sermons that can be deployed for the purpose of sort of helping this generation. But I just you know, we, we can't miss the other opportunities that, that are in front of us to really culturally and, and vocationally mentor this generation. Yeah, right. And, and David, I think that this idea of the younger generation is looking for a faith that that moves across, you know, all arenas is a huge opportunity. Um, I think for the church, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think we should be excited about embracing and digging ever deeply in. And you mentioned just there um, uh, mentoring there on the tail end of your comment. Can you talk to us a, a little more about how mentoring really plays into, you know, this idea of vocational discipleship and and really helping to develop even even the the cultural discernment, all these pieces. How does how does mentoring fit in, and how have you seen that um, working in different uh, churches? Yeah. Um, so m- mentoring is um, really kind of the engine. Uh, mentoring and reciprocal mentoring, uh, the idea that young and old benefit from each other, that it's not all about sort of passing wisdom down to young people, but mm-hmm. that, that older leaders, older adults have things to learn from the, the younger generation as well. And um, so we call that reciprocal mentoring. And so we, we have a lot of insights in this new project about the kind of mentoring that works, the way it works, how to think about mentoring, um, as the kind of transmission taking the engine, the power, the power train into the, you know, sort of the, where the rubber meets the road. So when it comes to relationships and hearing God's voice and experiencing Jesus and, um, you know, cultural discernment, vocational discipleship, mentoring is such an important part of that. And, and the churches that are the most effective for this new generation are, um, are able to address that. They're able to find uh, they use mentoring as part of the essential toolkit uh, for making that kind of life transformation happen. Have you seen some good examples of what that mentoring sort of looks like? Well, vocational mentoring is an important one. I mean, there's examples in the book about um, people being, you know, uh, 
mentored through the kinds of, you know, sort of in a, in a church context, trying to connect people, not just based on age, but based on vocational interests. Um, we see mentoring being um, influential in helping people learn about generosity, about the ways in which they are generous. Uh, we see mentoring um, being very effective and important when it comes to missions and, and sort of a missional life. So they see what it looks like for them to live uh, on mission with Jesus in the world. Um, so we, we document a lot of that in the book. Um, and, and, and importantly, one of the things that we that we talk about is that the definition of a meaningful relationship um, coming out of the research, like how would you know whether you have a meaningful mentoring relationship within within the church is whether people want to be around. They, they actually like other Christians, uh, young or old, and they want to be like them. So we talk a lot about the kind of mentoring, you know, kind of a metric for an effective mentor isn't just like, is the transaction happening? Is there ideas flowing back and forth? But do people really enjoy their time with each other? And they actually say, you know, when I get older, I want to be like that person. So we, we, we see some of that um, being really deeply embedded, I think, in, in um, the, 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 the stories that we uncovered about effective mentoring today. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I've seen some really, really cool things happen through intentional mentoring. And, um, and, you know, as, as your research supports when it comes to meaningful relationships and this uh, vocational discipleship and so many of these other pieces, I think, can really be impacted by some solid mentoring. Um, like you said, uh, mentoring both um, young to old and old to young. So uh, I love um, hearing stories about that and seeing the direction that's going. The fifth practice that you talk about um, is this idea of curbing entitlement and self-centered tendencies. And I know even I, when I first read that, I even kind of smiled to myself because, you know, there's a lot of talk about younger generations feeling entitled or self-consumed or, or whatever that might be. So talk to us just a little bit about th- this idea, this practice of how do we kind of curb those, those tendencies and what are things that you found in your research that were really effective in, in helping curb those tendencies? Well, yeah. So we talked earlier when you, when you we started our podcast, we talked about the the reasons why we live in an increasingly secular age. And to summarize that again is that we are both less and less religious, but those of us who are religious are more and more secular. Uh, it's it's sort of a both and and the self centeredness, the idea that you find yourself by looking inside yourself that that you know you could determine your own truth. You do you. Um, there's a good reason why a lot of us are concerned about the current moral moment that we live in. And, and, and for good reason, I think there's, there's good evidence that, you know, young people are sort of the Geiger counter of that. They like, they're, they're actually signaling to the rest of culture, this sort of self-centeredness and self-absorption. Um, in some ways that's sort of a screen age thing. They, they live their whole lives, so much of their lives staring at a screen, thinking about the things they want to think about when they want to think about them. Um, so what we find in the research is that this fifth practice is a lot around this cultural, countercultural, um, putting others for self-sacrificing, um, you know, uh, understanding the needs of the poor around us, being en- enlisted into a larger team within the co- context of the church. It's a really cool practice. And, and, you know, we saw a lot of evidence that this 10 percent of resilient disciples are living a very countercultural and different kind of life. Um, they, they really do exhibit a different set of priorities. 
that I think we can be really, um, really excited about. I mean, I've, you know, again, I've, I've been looking at, at research about this emerging generation for a long time and I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to be a little discouraged about, you know, the people that walk away from faith or that lose their confidence in the Bible or that, you know, that say this whole thing is just a game. I don't want to be a part of it or it's become too corporate. But on, on the other side, it's, um, it's actually, um, complicated that I actually feel like, you know, well, I mean, the way to say this is this book and this research really inspired me by hearing from people, these young people who are actually, I mean, it, like we could critique them as a young, as a younger generation, I'm 45. So it's easy for us as older generations to say, ah, they entitled self-centered kids. But what about these young resilient disciples who are themselves offering an effective critique of their generation and of our generation and of what we have become as a church on their watch? And, you know, it's like, let's stop complaining about this generation. Instead, empower those young prophetic voices to live the kind of countercultural missional lives that they're called to. Yes. And, and you know, like, rather than wringing our hands about all the, the problems with this generation, let's partner with what God is already doing uh, in and through the lives of these young people. That, that was a pretty inspiring, like, research finding. And, and for me, just a super encouraging, like, wow, God's busy at work in and through this generation. Um, I want to find ways of encouraging them to take up the mantle of, um, you know, where, where God's calling them next. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I see that too. Um, uh, it's fascinating to see, uh, uh, you know, the younger generation, how they're stepping up and how they're, they're thinking through things differently and they're helping not just, uh, critique things, but they're helping to kind of create things and, and challenge us to think through things differently, which I think is beautiful within the church. So I think the more that we can cultivate that and encourage that, you know, I, I think it's going to be, be very, very helpful for the church as, as we move forward. Uh, w- one of the things, you know, you know, the title of the book, Faith for Exiles, you know, we're, we're thinking through this as, you know, uh, you know, almost a community in exile. And you know, obviously we've, we've seen historically uh, post-Christendom and we've seen it, you know, throughout Europe and you see it more and more here in the U.S., and and I love the the inspiration that that you've um, pulled out of this. But can you talk to us just even a little bit more about maybe some of these hopeful movements that you're seeing and that your team is is coming across that are growing and developing among young people? You know, wh- where are you seeing these kind of um, you know bright spots as you're seeing them step into God's calling and, and following Christ? Well, there's so many of them, um, and you know, part of our goal is is I never want to be too specific about well, you know, look at this person or this church or this thing, but because I'm, um, you know, I'm really focusing on um, uh, trying to tell the story of the research and the broader trends and try to pull those into into best practices as opposed to you know copy this person, right. Um, but man, I'm just so encouraged by the faith of this generation. We we have a, a big webcast that's coming up on September 10th, and and so if if you happen to listen to this before September 10th, you can actually uh, go check it out. Called Faith for the Future. We'll be talking about um, this new research study, and we'll be talking about a big study, uh, a global study, the first of its kind for Barna, uh, looking at at 18 to 35 year olds around the world and 25 countries, um, nine languages, um, 
we're not doing the webcast in nine languages, but the research was connected in nine languages. And so we'll be, we'll be actually interviewing people, young people, uh, older adults about the very question you just asked, like, where are we seeing these bright spots spring up? So that's called Faith for the Future, airing on September 10th. It's a free webcast. If, if you happen to listen to this webcast after September 10th, uh, you can still find it online and, and view a replay of it. Um, at, at the connectedgeneration.com or through barna.com. We're actually working with World Vision on this large global study, the first of its kind, looking at that. And um, one of the things that we hear so often from church leaders is, you know, what are the best churches doing to help this generation? Or what are the, you know, what are the, give me an example, let's say, of a church that's doing it. And and I actually think that's a, in some ways the wrong question because a better question and with a better answer is who are the young people in your church, in your context, in your community, 18 to 35, um, the millennial Gen Z, who are already really fired up about God's purposes and how can you invest in them more deeply and and, and then give them more opportunities to really lead the church forward. Um, you know, God's calling this next generation of young people to himself to lead the church uh, for the sake of, you know, faithfulness in our time. And so I think so often we we've got this sort of like pass the baton mentality where it's like, okay, finally you'll be ready to take on, you know, <laughs> leadership. But this generation is leading now. They're leading in, in distinctive ways that uh, weren't true of the boomers and cer- certainly weren't true of Gen Xers. And um, re- overall, I mean, it's true of some boomers, some Gen Xers, but I'm just super excited about what God's doing in and through this generation. So it's fun to, it's fun to, hear those stories and to learn more about through the research. I mean, I get jazzed by the data when I see a 10% who are resiliently faithful. It's a small percent of the total, but that represents um, literally millions of young people here in the United States. And as we've learned with the study with World Vision, uh, literally millions of people uh, around the world um, in this age group who are, who are trying to live that kind of resilient life in Christ. Yeah, yeah. I love that, David. I love that. Excellent. Exciting things. And we will have links in the show notes. Um, to that webcast and uh, so people can either watch it live or watch the replay but david tell us if our listeners would like to learn more obviously your book faith for exiles five ways for a new generation to follow jesus in digital babylon um excellent resource but but where are some other ways that they can learn more connect with with you connect with barna perhaps what would you recommend well, yeah, thank you for asking. I mean, it's always nice to talk about the work our team is doing. And we have just a, a, such a talented group of people, writers, researchers, designers, and uh, storytellers. We call them data journalists. And um, you can find um, a lot of free stuff available at Barna.com. You have a, we have a free email newsletter called the Barna Update. Uh, we have uh, a, a brand new uh, subscription service for churches who just want to church leaders who want to find um, access to our reports and our trend trend data. Uh, so that's Barna Access. Uh, there's city-based data at a, at a tool called FaithView, uh, Barna FaithView. So we've been just pleased, you know, for 35 years, been able to serve Christian leaders um, with insights that help them understand the culture and then respond well. And uh, just our privilege to come alongside you. Um, you know, I'm a pastor's, pastor's kid myself, and I know how hard and challenging um, leadership is. My dad used to say, it's like, you know, where you're responsible for everything, but in charge of nothing. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's, it's hard to lead. It's hard, especially hard to lead today, era of social media. It's hard to know if you're making a difference and are you doing the right things. 
And, um, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we have a few answers. We have some things that we've been learning through the research. So we really invite you into this Barna community. Uh, and we're grateful for the chance to talk with you today, um, you know, with what you're doing at Church Leaders and just appreciate your your um, your inviting us into this. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thank you, David. We, we appreciate all that you and your team are doing. And uh, again, we will uh, connect our listeners to you via the show notes. But thank you for making the time and thank you for um, helping talk about the the inspiring things and the hopeful things. And because um, like you said, oftentimes uh, our young generations right now uh, get a, a, some bad press sometimes. And it's, it's good for for you to be able to, to pull out these different things where you see um, God at work because God is definitely without a doubt at work. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we've um, we've been pleased to really be able to, to see, you know, not only God at work, but the kinds of things that we can do as as Christians of, of all ages that that actually work, the things that seem to be, you know, a deeper way of, of uh, imagining, you know, what it means to be faithful today. And, I, and I'm just so inspired through people like Dan, Daniel in Scripture, um, uh, the, the writings of Jeremiah, the places in Scripture, you know, so majority or at least a, a, a big chunk of the Scriptures are written to and for and about people in exile. Um, and I feel like for me, you know, some people were like, well, don't call it exiles because that's going to sound like you're, you know, angry with the church. I like, know. I think a lot of us are feeling this sense of being like, what are we doing here? What's the, what are we, who are we following? What's, what, what is the, what's the important emphasis that we have to have? Like, why is being in exile an essential framework for following Jesus today? And, um, and I'm just convinced that if we're, if we really hope to raise a generation that is going to stay with faith and in fact, grow in faith, despite the cultural pressures, we've got to embrace our, our exilic moment. And that's a, that's a big phrase, but like there, there's, there's this generation is counting on us to search the scriptures for those kinds of insights and, and they're there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Opportunity awaits us. Amen, brother. Well, thank you, David, so much for being with us. We certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Church Leaders Podcast. God bless you. Thanks, friend. Take care. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.